gosh, hi. <laughs> hi, and welcome or welcome back to Modern Medieval, the podcast. It's been a hot minute. Yeah, it's been a month <laughs> and change. <laughs> yeah. I guess you can definitely tell that the world's opening up again. Yeah. And we finally have like other fun things to do as well. Yeah, back to the uh, side hobbies when we have a chance rather than to yeah. fill the dead time. Exactly. <laughs> if you've forgotten, I'm Megan. And I'm Elo. And if you've not listened to us before, we've recorded quite a few episodes, so definitely have a listen. But if you haven't, welcome. <laughs> yeah. Um, today, we're finally getting around to part two of our Circle in the Green Night. We got a screener for the film. And we've watched it and banked this, but Ello has been traveling abroad back home to Italy to see friends and family. And then I, Megan, have had just a bit of a rough time the past month in regards to research and people sucking and stealing expensive things from you. <laughs> um, yeah. So me. it's life. It happens. Everybody get phone insurance. Since, it, like, honestly, just pay the $10 a month extra because I had my phone stolen and it was two months into the contract. And that was like 470 pounds mm. rather than paying, I think it would have been like 100 pounds for the new phone. So, phone insurance, everyone, fucking important. Life lesson. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we have the screener. And actually, the timing of this is a bit exciting because. It has been announced that in the UK, the Green Knight's going to be releasing, I think it's the 21st of September, 24th, in late September, 2021. So, Oh, that's quite good. Yeah, it'll be available on Amazon, and I think it'll, it's doing a release in theaters. Mm. Um, but I think on Amazon, if you want to watch it, it's one of those expensive ones that's like 15 pounds or something. Yeah. Um, and this is definitely a film that if you decide you want to see it and it is doing screen time showings to go see it in the cinema. It is definitely a film that demands a cinematic experience if you have the chance. Yeah. I Yeah, that's one thing that I was going to say. Like, I watched it on my computer. Um, and I think I kind of, like, some bits just weren't... They didn't hit the same way. Um, yeah. Um, I watched mine on my computer as well because uh, the time that I was watching it, there was too much light in my living yeah. room to screen it on my television. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, my bedroom has blackout curtains. So I thought, okay, this is much better because, yeah, the colors are very muted and gray and earthy toned. And then you have yeah. these pops of color, which I think everyone is familiar with kind of like the mustard yellow because that was just those are so many of the screen grabs that are on Twitter and Instagram and reviews and everything. But nonetheless, that color is still so heightened if you're in a really dark mm. atmosphere. Um, and yeah. of course, that's what a cinema is meant to do. Right. <laughs> yeah. So Ello and I haven't talked about the film much really at all before this because we want to have like an organic, fun conversation. So why don't you go first, Ello, on like, what were your thoughts? How did you respond to the movie? So first of all, I was kind of confused because like when I watched the film, I was like, oh yeah, I follow the plot. I follow the plot. Like this is exactly how it works. This is fine. This is fine. And I got to a point where I was like, hold on. I actually don't think this is the plot I remember. And I was like, this is also definitely not the points that Megan was making. I was like, I was a bit confused towards like the middle end. Mm -hmm. I didn't think it reflected quite the story. But I thought that they did a very good job in like portraying medieval times as not white, which they weren't. So I thought that was good. I thought it was also like acted quite well on. Um, and yeah, I thought that like. Yeah, Dev Patel, I really like him anyway. So it was always nice to watch him act. And I thought it was cool that, like, it was, like, finally, it was portrayed, everyone portrayed, like, a normal, what felt like more of a natural, normal, accurate medieval time when um, maybe in the past, like, maybe even 10 years ago, the types of portrayals of the medieval would have been slightly more, well, much more inaccurate and also much more stereotypical. So I thought that was interesting. 
I, I enjoyed the film. It's not the type of thing I would watch unprompted. So I was quite glad that I enjoyed it. And I thought it was, uh, it was nice. I would watch it again. So yeah, that's wow. my very, very weird review. But yes, that is me. <laughs> I um, am glad that you were able to like get through it because it's two hours and some change. And you are notoriously very... Uh, short attention span when it comes to certain things that's why Lord of the Rings hasn't been done yet <laughs> oh my god no yeah no I think if I were to read them if I managed to get myself to read them I think I'd be keen to watch them but like mm. not the moment of my life fair enough someday yeah someday, someday. um yeah so this film I've been doing some reading it's very polarizing it yeah. is not for everyone. And yeah. yeah, if you're gonna go into it with the stereotypical medieval slash and dash and fights and all of that, you are gonna that. be highly disappointed. Um, if you are looking for that kind of film, go to Game of Thrones, go watch Guy Ritchie's King Arthur, whatever. Um and also, if you are familiar with the story, you need to go in with an open mind because yeah. the core of the story is true to the core of the, the plot of the film is true to the story, but it also makes changes. It emphasizes different things. Mm. So there's a line by, um, she's just known as like Lady of the Castle in the film but also this is going to have spoilers everyone sorry yeah that up front but the like lady of the castle who we also know is the um what's her name lady beckon knight the belin there it's something like that i don't remember i apologize yeah i mean yeah it doesn't matter like in the book you can kind of she's easy to identify so yeah in the in the story yeah um they're in this beautiful library, which we'll talk about definitely more because I have some medieval tidbits. Um, but she says that, you know, she writes stories, she translates stories, she transposes them. And sometimes she makes additions and or she changes them. And this film is very much of that. Yeah. Um, and it's really important also to just be aware that um, the, the Sir Gawain poem exists in only one copy. And also the Arthurian kind of cycle or canon, one of the articles I read calls it the Arthurverse. So mm. I guess we're marvelizing things now with, you know, the Marvelverse or whatever. But um, characters and stories are at that time in the Middle Ages were not like concrete. They adapted, they changed due to where they were geographically or linguistically. Like, so this film being x hundred years later and in a modern era makes those adaptations and changes to a modern audience um so as medievalists going into it i think kind of being aware of that might allow you to appreciate it more mm. or yeah. not be as shackles up like this isn't how it goes in the story <laughs> yeah i also thought it was interesting because they used like the um, very modern tool of digression. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought that was quite like, that was very modern medieval in my opinion, because digression per se is not something that you find um, that I've seen at least in medieval stories. And it's something that I've definitely read a lot of in like 19th century books or like 18th century from that point onwards. So I thought it was quite, I found that quite a modern tidbit like to add and like hmm. complexify the story and, I thought there was a lot of character development, which obviously like from it's definitely like someone who's read the story and who knows a lot about it and who kind of got into the mood of it. So I thought mm -hmm. that was interesting. And yeah, when I read when I read it, I didn't I didn't get like that kind of insight, which I thought the film did a really good job of portraying. Yeah, I definitely agree. So in um, the original story, Sir Gawain is already like an established knight. He already yeah. has stories behind him. And so by the time you got to this poem in the uh, the canon, you already had that like background. So the yeah. film obviously doesn't. And people have, they, they might have heard of Sir Gawain the Green Knight because it is like one of the quintessential Arthurian cycle uh, stories. 
but that doesn't mean you know everything about it. It doesn't mean that you know Gawain the Knight and everything. Yeah. It's just kind of a name. And we get, yeah, just plopped down into this uh, other world, this other time. Yeah. And as you were saying, Ella, they make these, uh, the, we view them as modern choices of, so Gawain in this is very anti-hero for a very long time, if not yeah. until the very end, or if you will, an anti-knight. Yeah, I agree. Um, so in the poem, Gawain is all about honor and courtesy and charity and being good. He's like, you know, the epitome of that. And also very virginal, which right off the bat in the film. Yeah, here, he's definitely not. It's he, really funny. He, he, the first thing he wakes up, he's in a brothel. And you're yeah. like, okay, something is very different here. And he's always drunk and moving around and everything. And he's also like kind of dumb. Yeah. Because he, this film, they make him younger. He's probably what, like Early late 20s, 20s yeah. ish, whatever. Yeah. Um, very like kind of sheltered in a way. Um, he still lives at his mom's and though they never say like his mother's name from what I've been reading by Medievalist, it's assumed that she is Morgana Le Fay because she is, he is the nephew of Arthur. That's the sister of Arthur is Morgana and his mother is um, a witch in the film. They use yeah. lots of, um, they introduce a lot of pagan esoteric elements to the film, which I have conflicting feelings about. Primarily well, because it wasn't necessary. Just primarily because so in, in the original poem and certain editions of it, Morgana is the one that um, kind of bewitches or magically transforms Sir B, because I hear remember Berkelot, Berkelot, whatever, as the Green Knight. You know, he comes, he does the um, game challenge. Um, in the movie, it's Christmas Day. In the poem, it's New Year's Eve which I thought was like a really interesting shift just because a new year is all about being on a cusp and transition. And I was like, why didn't they stay with that regardless? Um, so Morgana had a presence in certain editions of the poem, whereas in the film, she's very present though. They're never gone by name. So the King is just the King. It's not King Arthur. The queen is just the queen. It's not Queen Guinevere. It's implied. It's, implicit rather than explicit if you will but yeah Morgana uh there's the Christmas feast and she's like I'm not feeling like going you go yeah I was okay, like, with your uncle. yeah and I was like okay fine she's like I'll have other years to go and so Arthur goes like oh son not son sorry nephew sit next to me I should have been more present in your life because at this point Arthur's an old man mm. and so that's kind of sweet and nice you know and uh Gawain kind of just like awkwardly sits next to him and it's just like he's not bulky but I just felt like he was kind of himbo-y in the beginning just very like there but then we get these cuts to Morgana and I'm assuming the sis his sisters which there are three so if we're gonna go with kind of mm. imagery weird sisters a la Macbeth doing this very it seems sinister in a way ritual of writing blindfolded and writing this note that then hovers it has a green seal and it like floats on its own and then it bursts into flame and then of course immediately after the green knight is summoned if you will yeah um so I thought yeah that was an interesting choice to have his mother be the catalyst or like the cause of almost like you need to get out of my house you need to fucking find yourself I'm going to summon this guy that's going to behead you and you're going to just learn some life lessons. That was kind of how it felt. Yeah, me. it felt definitely like there was a very maternal in all the term, like in all the senses um, aspect to it. And it, yeah, the thing I didn't think about it now, the thing I don't really like about it is that obviously like it seems like it's her doing that he's yeah. like that she's kind of motherly, like a very complex psychological mother figure. Mm -hmm. But like women, as she's the mother, she's still kind of portrayed as evil, kind of a little bit. Yeah, no, like I definitely agree. There is something sinister about yeah. her. Um, yeah, it's just I find it a very compelling and interesting addition. Like I hate it and I like it. I don't know. 
Yeah. And I you don't know, know though. Yeah, go, sorry. To be honest, like when I saw it, I kind of just saw it as like she wasn't casting a spell. That was just what appeared to her because I thought that those cards looked like kind of like tarot cards. And so like maybe that was just kind of what came to light. And so she could foresee her son's future. But yeah, like if you look at it slightly, if you look at it the way you've looked at it, then she's definitely got like an evil role, which isn't great. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, maybe I'm just projecting evil. I mean, in the end, it's all kind of, it works out. Like he has to go on this hero's journey, if you will. Yeah. Cause we also get to see some runes and they're etching runes, you know, mm. and when he gets ready to go on his quest, they um, sew the runes into his sash. And that's like the witchcraft, you know, that is meant to protect him. It just... The role of women in this film to me felt very double. It wasn't positive. It yeah. wasn't positive for sure. Um, the women are all strong. I will give it that. Like very strong women, very powerful women. But yeah, yeah all with this feeling of foreboding, if you mm-hmm. will. No, I agree. Then we also just randomly get the semi-nude female giants walking in the mountains yeah that bit was very I was I just didn't think that was necessary I don't know what that was it didn't add anything to the story it just made it a bit weird really yeah like I don't get why we needed to see exposed giant boobies yeah I get that so if you recall if you listened to our first episode on Sir Gawain the story you know we have the challenge for like a refresher. Green Knight comes in and says, who will join in a game with me blow for blow? Arthur's like, I'll do it. And then Gawain, the honorable knight in a poem is like, no, this is your kingdom. You cannot like do this. I will do it. And the Green Knight basically like offers, his, he kneels down and offers his neck to be beheaded. So Gawain beheads him. And the, you know, the Green Knight's head like rolls away, blood spewing everywhere. But then the body goes and picks up the head and mm. is like one year and a day hence rides off. And so you're the, aside from just this otherworldly presence, the green knight, they're like, shit, that guy was not human. <laughs> so basically the story is now Gawain is going to an almost certain death. Yeah. That's kind of, sure. and the poet in the poem is like, yeah, so Gawain leaves around, you know, Halloween time, All Souls time, to, because it takes days to get to the Green Chapel where the Green Knight is. And he met many challenges, like giants and dragons, whatever, but I don't have time here to rely on this. That's like not this story. Move on. So David Lowry, the director, decides to kind of fill in some of those gaps. And the bandits or thieves that uh, kidnap and tie up Gawain. Okay, that made, like, I thought that was really kind of interesting and gave a little bit, you know, the action medieval whatnot, but also had some existential stuff. But yeah, when we get to the giants, I thought, oh, cool, they're causing, like, the thunder and stuff in the storm. But they just looked weird, too. They looked very CGI-y to me. Yeah, I don't think they added anything, to be honest. Yeah, and aside from that, and, like, the mystical fox that comes and becomes the companion slash guide of Gawain, like talking to the giants. I just felt like, is this just so that we can see uh, like, cause they, all the giants were women. Like it just, yeah, it was just without just na- boobs. And I just felt, yeah, very um, like, Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I agree with you. I didn't really think it added anything at all, to be honest. I felt like it um, kind of got the flow messed up there because I was like, this is lingering. This is too long. Yeah, too long. I agree. I agree. Uh, I don't know. Like, it was, um, I liked a lot of what it did. I don't know if, you think maybe in this polarizing conversation, I probably would be with the people who said that, would say that, like, it didn't quite portray the story very well. Like, there was a lot of confusing elements. Also, I found the ending particularly troubling because, like, you basically have this flash forward where he's about to get beheaded. And the knight as well is portrayed in this very, like, how do I put it? Like, he was he's very, like, black and white. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the story, he isn't, he's more, there's more of a morale to it, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, a lot of morality is just gone. And, and I think that that's a shame because that was, like, a really core part of the story. And so you basically have this thing where, like, essentially, like, there's two flash there's one flash where he's about to get beheaded and then instead of having valor and honor he flees and he becomes this there's this like flash forward to his life when he goes back where 
this girl that he was um you know having sex with mm-hmm. who was a I guess a prostitute yeah her um, short hair signifies that she's a prostitute oh well there we go yeah her and name's she, Essel by the way okay Essel, yeah. Essel gets <laughs> pregnant they have a child he gets given he becomes king because Arthur dies and then eventually in his old age he dies and gets his head chops off and he dies so that's like the flash forward and so when he in that moment before he gets beheaded instead of running he decides to face his future and that's how the story ends but I thought that that was kind of like very restrictive because yes sure it's all about valor and honor but like there's so much more to the story that's much more complex and there's like the Green Knight isn't so like polarized. He's 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 complicated. He's interesting, and I thought that that was just, just kind of did a disservice to it. So yeah, I agree with you in part, and I am gonna debate you a little bit in part, not oh, debate, yeah. but like counter. So yeah, I agree that the Green Knight, um, uh, so much of his charisma and like yeah, complexity and kind of mystical trickery, if you will, bit like he's very kind of witty and personable mm-hmm. in the poem is lost very yeah kind yeah. of stoic so as you hit the flash forward you don't really realize that it's a flash forward no you don't yeah. Gawain runs away yeah he goes back um he's always wearing the green sash so he's living in fear of being beheaded right or the yeah. green knight kind of coming yeah he's knighted king yeah as you said get itself pregnant takes the baby and abandons her yeah which is like key because earlier in the film uh before he goes on his quest it's kind she of wants to become queen it, well she wants to she just wants she loves him she wants to be with him and she says well i become your lady and mm. she gives him one of the bells that's on her um scarf which is kind of like i think a symbol also of her uh dubious nature as like a prostitute or a sex worker um, yeah and so people can hear her so, so so he gives she gives him the bell as like a token to remind her um, and then he goes into an arranged marriage that's like very loveless, you know, yeah. and all that. And yeah, the final kind of scene is the castle's being besieged and everyone starts to abandon him. And you get this really, um, visceral scene of, I guess it seems almost as if the sash has been like sewn into him because he's pulling it out of his tunic as if it's like his organs. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he pulls it out and he tosses it onto the floor. And then across his neck, a um, the headline, like a wound opens. And then his head just rolls off. Yeah. It reminded me a lot of the, did you ever hear like the children's tale of the, it's either the green ribbon or the red ribbon around her neck. Mm. And she like falls in love with her friend. And he's like, what's under the ribbon? She says, don't take it off. Don't take it off. And then the story can kind of go two ways, either as an old woman or he, the husband just does it out of curiosity. He takes off her ribbon and her head falls off. And then we get the cut to, I get, you're like, oh, wait, no, what was that? A flash forward. Mm. And Gawain says, wait a minute to the Green Knight and takes off the sash. There's this cut to him digging his fingers into the earth. And then the knight goes, all right, off with your head. And then right as he's swinging down, we get the final kind of calling card of the film that just says the Green Knight. And you're left to go, okay, did we get, was that vision of the future in a way, a parallel to what will happen? Not saying that he'll be abandoned because he won't have the sash anymore. Or does he just die? Does he actually get beheaded? Mm. Yeah, there is this. And in reading, David Lowry said he wanted to kind of be ambiguous and it's up to the audience member to decide, which I fucking hate that so often. Yeah. I know some people really like that, but it's just kind of like, oh, they didn't want to polarize the audience by doing one or the other. So they make that decision. And it's just like, yeah, it definitely um, feels like it doesn't. It's kind of lacking artistic decision. Like plot wise, because visually this film, David Lowry is a beautiful director yeah I feel like even if you're not into the story or whatever any shot that you stomp on for the most part I would argue except for the giants just because I stupid scene in my opinion it's gonna be beautiful like he just has a beautiful cinematic eye but some people have interpreted this as Gawain like accepting his place in the cosmos and like 
the inevitability of death and like we are all a speck of dust and one with the earth, blah, 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 which is definitely also part of the poem originally because it is a very eco-critical text yeah. or an eco-medieval literary um, bit. But yeah, just it is interesting. And I think in the screener we had, Elo, did you see the post-credits scene? No, I didn't. No, um, it's fine. I didn't know it existed until I was reading up on it. And I was like, oh, all wait. Right. It's like 12 seconds and um, it's the crown, the Mm -hmm. like halo crown lying on the floor and a little girl crawls over. She's like three Mm -hmm. and just plays with it and puts it on and then it cuts to black. Mm -hmm. It's the question of who's the girl and what does that mean? Is she, is this just like another reference to the vision future that Gwen had? Is this a symbol that he wasn't truly beheaded and went on and became king and had a child and maybe was happy with Essel and like learned his lesson to whatever? Is it none of the above? What is it? A complicated note, nonetheless. Yeah. But no, the one thing is, you know, I said, oh, these are like modern twists, right? This whole film is about self-discovery, growth, whatever. Mm. Um, and I mean, there is an aspect of that for sure in the original poem because Gawain learns to not be cowardly and he decides to wear the sash following his encounter with the Green Knight for the rest of his days, right? As a reminder of him initially not giving the sash to Berkelac in their exchange of games, right? Like, I got something, I give it to you, etc. Yeah. But this is in a way still very medieval because it's still about growth and the inner person in a way and development it's just the medieval story kind of glosses over that in a way it's about a lot of other things whereas today we're so much like psychological thriller psychological etc you know um that this dwelled a lot more on the ideas of sin and regret and finding yourself if you will yeah Um, I I mean I thought that what it did really well was that like to a public that may have not read the book mm -hmm. it really engaged you and I think that sometimes with things that are kind of past people don't get excited about it they don't think about it they don't think they'd care and then it's a really lovely surprise for like oh actually this is keeping it alive this is modernizing it Mm -hmm. and hopefully inspiring a new generation of people to read it or reread it, say. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And I think part of what hooks you for me is the costumes in this film are yeah, fucking really good. phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, I agree. I mean, shit, they're just so good. So I have a little tidbit on like the costumes. Oh, so they me. are, um, the, the creator of the costumes, her name is uh, Małgosia Turzanska. So she's Polish, she grew up in Krakow. And she actually has done some costume design for Stranger Things. She did another David Lowry film, um, A Ghost Story which uh, is very much like this. I've seen a ghost story. Was not the biggest fan, but I watched it because um, Mara Rooney in one scene just sits and it's a super long cut of her eating an entire chocolate pie. I was like- That's impressive. It is like she actually eats it when they were filming and stuff. Um, And that film's also very uh, about the cosmos and our place in the universe and like apocalyptic ghost story-y also very polarizing, you know, like I, David Lowry is somebody that one of the reviews, they were like, if you're into like pretentious art house films, he's your guy. Yes. There's a merit to that. He's kind of like David Lynch. I feel in a way where people either like really dig or you're just kind of like, get over yourself. I love David Lynch. So (laughs) David Lowry, I can appreciate the artistic visual aspect of it. Still a little on the fence story-wise. Anyways, sorry, back to uh, Malgoja, costume designer. She, you know, she was talking about how she wants the costumes to have like a presence and really be aspects of the characters and everything. And yeah, they're great. And she, if you look at the crowns, they are definitely meant to be halos. I had to double check that because it's so obvious, but sometimes things are so obvious that they're unintentional, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. But we get the costumes of King Arthur and of um, Guinevere. and. There are these amazing robes with metal uh, plates for Arthur with like scenes sewn into it. And then Mm -hmm. for Guinevere, she has all these, they look like little trinkets. And at first I thought they were pilgrim badges, which um, 
are kind of self-explanatory. They're badges that you get to signify you're a pilgrim on a pilgrimage to a holy site. Yeah. So there are some really fun pilgrim badges of uh, like vaginas being carried by penises and stuff like that. Um, Because the Middle Ages had a sense of humor and could like be very body. Or, you know, you'd get a badge of the saint you're going to. But um, yeah, in reading about her intention with the costumes, and I was kind of like, what's going on with this? Like, what is on Guinevere? So in an interview with Vogue, Malgojo is talking about, you know, the creative process and sharing some sketches and everything. And the little tokens that are on Guinevere's gown are their milagros. Mm. So these are votive tokens. They are, um, or religious folk charms that are traditionally used for healing purposes and are originally from like Mexico and the Southern United States and other parts of Latin America um, and parts of the Iberian Peninsula. So that's where initially they originated was the Iberian Peninsula and then colonialism, bringing over Catholicism and religious tradition, right? And then that gets interspersed. And in Spanish, the word milagro literally means miracle or like a surprise. Mm. And kind of like pilgrim badges, you would say you have wounded your arm. You would go to a saint or a holy place and you would leave one of these little badges of like your arm and pray like that token would be your kind of offering and signifier of, I hope that you can heal my arm. So it's interesting, this little tidbit with Guinevere, because it kind of shows how beloved they are by their people, that she's wearing all these tokens that have been given to her from members of Arthur's society, but they also create this really kind of beautiful constellation gown. And Milagros are also related to Tama or Tamata, which are from the uh, Eastern Orthodox Church. And it's the same spiel of a token for something. Um, But I just thought that I, I wanted to point that out because this does have an early medieval link to it yeah and kind of the awareness in the costume design which is very modern medieval fusion yeah and I just love like little details and tidbits like that I think that they're really really fun and another aspect was like the yellow cloak that Gawain wears apparently they were looking for a very particular shade of yellow right to stand out in this atmosphere that's very misty and gray and the yellow they settled on she was like it's basically the same color as gorse which is an invasive irish plant and so this idea of being connected to the earth but invasion into places that you don't belong i thought was Mm -hmm. just kind of i know i'm getting very like film theory whatever but it just i think that's interesting like the pattern on the um cloak if you can see it a stitching is um a thumbprint Oh, she said cool. it's, it's her husband's thumbprint that she like put a pattern. So this kind of links to the idea of identity and who am I, right? Because everyone has a unique thumbprint. Mm. Um, I just think it's so beautiful. Like her costumes are not only stunning, but they do have like message and meaning. That That's very cool. Also for like most people who might watch this, costumes aren't something you're seeking here. Yeah. And I guess it's just like that relates so much to the poem, right? Where they talk about the pentacle and what it means. And you actually get that in the film, which I fucking loved. Yeah, that's cool. um, But it's in a way building on this idea of something visual or material that seems innocuous actually has meaning. That's very much the medieval, right? It's very allegorical. It's very uh, symbolic. And Malgoja kind of took that and put that in the film. And you don't have to... It's it's not as obvious, but when you see it and read about it, you kind of go, I really respect that. Yeah. And that's how I felt. Uh, like, so I just wanted to share that because I thought it was really cool. cool. Yeah, no, it was very cool. So I have two more tidbits kind of thing. One is obviously I'm going to have to talk about St. Winifred that shows up in the film because... Well, I mean, why not? <laughs> it's I, I just, it's my research. I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. I, I have to. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So Winifred is an addition explicitly by David Lowry into the film, like into the story, though we get a brief line of Holy Well in the poem, which is a location in Wales. And that is where Winifred, like the location that her uh, Vita or her story occurred. 
Mm-hmm. So I just, I love this because it's like such a medieval aspect, but then it adds, you know, another uh, mysterious woman component to the story and like a ghosty aspect. So just briefly, so St. Winifred is a Welsh saint and she's a virgin martyr. This is interesting because she's not quite a virgin martyr, but she is um, mm. of the seventh century. So 600. Um, though her cult might have been celebrated earlier. She's somebody who the uh, first uh, writing down of her like legend and cult is in the 12th century. But there's yeah. obvious material examples of her cult and practice for centuries before that. So, yeah. so her story says she was in the sixth or the seventh century. So that's so the story is that um, she was the daughter of a, a chieftain in the Wales at the time whose name was uh, Tengaigal. Sorry if that's wrong. I don't speak Welsh. Um, he was a nobleman, and uh, her mother was Wenlo, sister of Saint. Uh, Bono and um, she had a suitor Caradog who was like so taken with her because she's so beautiful because that's how it rolls in virgin martyr stories that he tried to rape her and she was like no I'm going to become a nun and he gets mad and uh, male power and you know I get what I want he beheads her he decapitates her because he's just like well if I can't have you no one can so she's decapitated and her head falls off and where her head lands, a um, mystical healing spring appears from where her head fell to the ground. So that's why you would think she's a virgin martyr. But her uncle being this like super powerful saint comes and rejoins her head to her body. Hmm. And she, she lives and she goes on to become this great abbess or a nun and then an abbess at Gwytherin in Denbigshire and lives her days and then, you know, dies from old age. So she's kind of virgin murder, but not because she technically yeah. dies, but then continues to live her life. Very popular saint. Um, one of the few that transcends from Wales into England. So I've seen some Welsh uh, historians call her like a super saint. Oh, cool. Which for me, research-wise, is very interesting but so in the film we it's at a point where it's kind of in the middle Gawain is just tired he's cold he's been having a rough time you know he's been bound and gagged by thieves Mm. finds this abandoned house and like goes up and sleeps he sees a bed and he's just like oh cool (laughs) he's sleeping in the bed and then he wakes up to this young beautiful woman being like what are you doing in my bed and he's like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I'll leave. I'm sorry. Uh, and she's like, wait, no, it's OK. Just why are you in my bed? And he turns and he looks at her and she kind of like glides across the floor. So then he's like, she goes and he like reaches out and she's like, don't touch me, which is great. She's like, what are you doing? <laughs> so he doesn't get to like try to touch her and like, you know, hand go through her. And then it's like, ah, goes. And she asks if he can do a favor. And he says, mm-hmm. yes. And she says, can you get something for me? And he, she leads him outside to what you think is a lake, but it's not. It's a spring. It's a mystical spring. And she says, can you get my head it's down there? So you get this sequence where he dives into the water. It's like blood red. Yeah, it's quite he strange. Has a vision of the cosmos. Very David Lowry, if you've seen yeah. the story. But he goes down and gets the skeleton. I mean, I'm sorry, not the skeleton, the skull. Brings mm. it up and she's gone. He's like, the fuck is happening, man? <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny because he's like soaking wet. You know, he's like, now I'm even more wet. I've got a chick's skull. She's gone. What am I going to do? <laughs> um, but, you know, he walks up the stairs and he looks over and he notices that the bed is filled with her skeleton, Sam's head. So he goes over and places the skull onto the body. Her head, yeah. Uh, and she stands up and then her head kind of like lulls off and it's this like Bleh! horrifying potential foreshadowing, right? But then he turns and he finds the um, the axe that was given to him by the knight, which he had lost because when he's taken by the thieves, they steal everything. And that's like a weird addition to the story because in the original story, he does not encounter thieves who take his stuff. He always has his horse, but um, there are these tokens or these kind of like obstacles where if he successfully overcomes them, he re- gets something of his in return. Mm. So this is the first one 
where mm-hmm. he uh, gets the axe and then he's walking around, the fox is leading him around. I was disappointed that his encounter at the castle was so brief. And I normally love Alicia Viscander like as an actress. I did not like her as the lady of the castle. Yeah, I thought she was lacking a certain something. I thought she was quite sexualized, but like there was nothing to her more than that. Yeah, like I just, because she was playing this kind of cold, abrupt, you know, they're meant to be these kind of mystical, odd people, or not mystical, but like mysterious. Yeah. They are in the story. And we find out it's because it's great night, they know what's going on. Um, but in this, she's just, she's very abrupt and cold, but sensual. And I just, I felt. Yeah, like it was a bit too much. She was very hollow, like trying to do too much and therefore not appealing, mm. at least to me. And I was pissed when she ripped the bell off from around his neck. I was like, bitch. Yeah. Like, what is this? And he went, you know, he doesn't respond to her. So I guess that's like, he should have talked about Essel. But she just like takes it off and goes away. And I was like, how dare you? Yeah. Also, like, I thought it was a shame that part of the story there was cut off. Because like, until then, I was like, okay, like, it's back on track. Like, this is, there was kind of a prelude. And now, like, we're back onto the story. Um, but I thought there was lots of stuff missing, like all of the different going to the for the guy, the, the host of the house going to the forest for him, and like the three times, the three different of exchange. Yeah, exactly. yeah. I just thought it was. Just, I just thought it was like that kind. Like there was a lot before, and then in the core of the story, lots of was missing, and then it ends in this like really weird note, and it's just like this is the story, but it isn't quite the story, is it? Yeah, I felt like because I mean in the poem I mean him at the castle of Berkelac or whatever is the core of it it's like a third if not more yeah, of the story yeah, yeah. you know I mean yeah it dwells a lot on the hunting and everything but it's like fun because it's the question of you know I'll go out and hunt and I'll give you what I get and then you give me whatever you get in the house and it's like you know fun and cheeky because in the story uh the lady Berkelac keeps giving going kisses so he has to kiss the lord of the manor and it's just this fun like is he gonna do it is he not and then you get the moment where on the third day he gets the sash and doesn't give it to the you know and it's you just don't get that because we don't even go through one day of exchange because lady berkelec uh sexually tempts sexually uh encount i just I, i don't know i had a lot of feelings about so he wakes up, right? And it's, I was like, okay, we're on track. We've got day one of the exchange yeah. thing going. She wakes up, you know, he's naked in bed because he's tired and whatever. And that's fine. Like that's normal. Cool. And she comes over and you're like, oh, okay. They're going to do the thing where they have a conversation. And she's like, aren't you going to give me a kiss? But instead he, and he's like, you need to leave because she's like, you didn't come to my rooms last night. And he's like, no, it's wrong. I shouldn't. Instead, she like has the sash around her waist ready. and she you know, you think you know what's going on. And it becomes very explicit very quickly that she's giving him a hand job. Oh, yeah. And, uh, mm. you know, we get lots of um, him physically excited and stimulated uh, panting and groaning and deep breathing, but him trying to, like, be... Oh, he's also like, the fuck is going on? I don't want to. And then, of course, uh, the moment he comes, he rips the sash off her, and she goes, you are no knight. And walks away, and then we get this cut of his hand uh, holding the sash that is covered in cum, right? Yeah, which was just, I thought that was deeply unnecessary and extremely explicit. So for me, I personally was actually like, fuck yeah, I'm here for this cut, because I just watched Neon Genesis Evangelion per recommendation of Paula. And Um, I think that's also part of the reason why I've been like emotionally fucked up, because it's so good, but also like all about depression and self-worth and everything but anyways there is a cut in the film uh of the original series before the rebuilds where the character shinji who is very troubled and lost uh there's a cut where he where he masturbates to his friend who's in hospital because he's just so lost and it's the moment where he hits the lowest the low and it's like a cut to his hand covered and he goes Mm -hmm. i am the lowest low i am the scum of the earth like i am worth nothing and it's like a pivotal moment, but anyways, so it's and it's very mummified in the uh, Evangelion verse. 
mm-hmm. um, in the anime. Anyways, so, but with this, because that's so fresh in my mind, I was kind of like, hey, Parallel Neon Genesis Evangelion, because this moment is very similar to that. So I was like, like bing, bing, bing. But yeah, you don't have that kind of context yeah. parallel. And he like squeezes it. So there no. is that bit of like squish. <laughs> yeah. um, no, because so. I was just thinking like, Oh, like probably lots of parents and children are going to go to the cinema and watch this. And then they're going to get this like insanely, ex- like there's so much sex on TV anyway, but like that's a kind of, it's the one of the realities of sex that you don't really want to actually see on screen, you know, it's kind of gross. It's like a um, quick side digression. Or for, uh. So the film Tony Erdman, if you haven't seen it, it came out a few years ago, fucking see it. Do not watch it with your parents. So my friend Jacob, I mean, and he was like in his mid thirties when he went and saw it with his mom because it was getting all these accolades, right? It's a great uh, foreign film, beautiful, fun, heartbreaking. But there's this scene where one of the characters has to, uh, he like meets his lover in this room and she forces him to, or she like coerces him, but like sexually to come onto a macaroon and then she eats it. And he, my friend Jacob was like, I have never been so traumatized in the cinema he's like I knew we were we we knew we were gonna go see this film that uh was about like loss and struggle and everything Mm -hmm. but not that (laughs) he was like sitting next to my mother watching that he's like in all the years in my life (laughs) um yeah don't take children to see Sir Gawain they'll be bored and no I want like no yeah it's it's not all it's not any of the things that they might want to see um so yeah that uh but then yeah after that he's like traumatized and like the fuck is going on in this house you know Gawain and he like runs out and runs away then encounters uh the the, Sir Berkeley in the woods and they like exchange the kiss and you're just like if you don't have the context of the story you are just very lost at this point and I was mad that we're like okay he's at the green night at the green chapel a day early and they just like sit there and i just felt like this is unnecessary we could have had another day at the castle and not have had everything that was there agreed i completely agree with you um but my one final like note is the one good thing in the castle that we get is the library yeah that was quite cool beautiful amazing medieval books yeah um and so I'll share this in the Instagram, but when the film first came out in August, uh, Medieval Art, which is a handle on Instagram, posted a grid of images um, and then contextualized them of the medieval art references in The Green Knight. Mm-hmm. And there are actually quite a few. That's cool. And um, they, like, say what they are. So, you know, we we do get, like, a manticore, which is a creature with a man's head. And um, that's from 1350. We see, you know, it's very famous because it's very memefied right now. The rabbit riding a man's snail. That mm-hmm. is from a breviary, um, 1302-1303. And that's at the British Library in London. Mm-hmm. In B.L. Yates Thompson, 8 Folio 294. On the back of Gawain's uh, shield, we have the image of the Virgin Mary and the child. Mm. Very Byzantine image. And that is from the 900s. And it's uh, something you can see in the Hagia Sophia. Mm. Um, The calendar, you know, that they were spinning in the beginning, telling the story. And it's meant to be like the cycle of time and nature and the year passing. But also Gawain's story, like growing and being retold over and over again has inspiration the master of geneva by boccaccio labors of the month about 1470 to 75 so high middle ages the ballroom that's in the castle you know that was extraordinary um is the ballroom of charleville castle 1641 so we're talking about uh baroque to uh we haven't hit neo-gothic yet or gothic revival uh, but 1641, and that's found, that castle's found in Ireland. Mm. One of the books he opens is a lunar eclipse of an astronomical manuscript, 1230. Mm. Um, the heart-shaped book of love poetry that Lady Berkelac gives him um, is around 1550. There's mm. one that is in existence. Um, and then there's a quick 
jump cut. I don't know if you caught it. It exists for like a second of a woman in like polka dots illustrated manuscript. I think it's right before he finds the castle. Um, but that's oh, I didn't see that actually. I didn't it's notice such it. Such a quick. It's like a frame or two. Right. Um, but that is from an actual manuscript. It's Lady Bertillac and Sir Gawain um, from the late 1300s, and that's at the British Library. Um, but yeah, I just like loved that there are like all these details that are amazing, and you know the spine, not the spines, um, the the pages of the books painted with the medieval imagery and everything. Um, yeah, no, it's very, very cool. And so, yeah, like I said, I'll share this post because it does a great job of kind of visualizing that. Yeah. And I just no. wanted to list some of those to be like, again, referring to my conversation of Malgosia, like even though this is a very modern flavored medieval film, they paid attention to the material rather than just going stereotypical medieval yeah, no, I think I think there's definitely more like pluses than cons in this one. I'm really glad to say that. Yeah, so I guess my end note. Sorry, I've been like babbling on and on and on. No, it's fine. See it, see it in the cinema if you can. Visually fucking stunning. Costumes fab. Story go and open minded. It's gonna be a bit of a psychedelic trip at points, quite literally in one yeah. instance, and just try to lose yourself in it and like enjoy the atmosphere. It's very atmospheric. And yeah, I would say it is a good medieval, modern medieval film. And it might be one of the few that is much more appreciated by medievalists than it is by the general public because of the medieval inflection in it. I agree. I thought it was pretty good. Would recommend. (laughs) Yeah. That was my end note. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, thank you, Ella. Why don't you start signing us off? Yeah, so if you've enjoyed this episode and want to listen to more, please note that we're on Spotify, Apple Podcast, YouTube, uh, Audible, just type Modern Medieval Podcast, and then you should find us. If you'd like to interact with us, which we highly recommend, um, we're on social media. We've got a, an Instagram account. Our handle is podcast.modern.medieval. Um, we've also got a Facebook account, a Facebook group and a Facebook page as Modern Medieval Podcast. We've got an email address should you want to shoot us an email. It's modern.medieval.podcast at gmail.com. And finally, we've got a Twitter account, but to be honest, I know nothing about it. <laughs> yeah, so we have a Twitter account. You can find us at the handle at medieval underscore modern. You can always find uh, show links there. And yeah, just thank you everyone for listening. We have hit over 4,000 all-time downloads. That's quite wow. exciting. Um, for this little side project hobby that we do. Yes, so thank you. This is Modern Medieval, the podcast. I'm Megan. And I'm Ella.